and we seem to be breaking down and falling apart. We thank you that your love is always true. Your love is always there. And your love can carry us through whatever it is that we're facing. And I pray this morning that as we now take some time to turn to your word, we ask that you would be the one to truly teach us this morning about what it means to truly love and to be loved. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, who perfectly embodied love in his life, in his death, and in his resurrection, and now at the right hand of God, still our Savior. We pray it in his name. Amen. Well, welcome once again. Right Here we go into God's word. We're going to talk about love. Ah. Love, warm and fuzzies today, okay? Um, but hey, let's be honest, right? Love can often feel like a guessing game, right? You know, the, the daisy pluck, right? They love me, they love me not. They love me, they love me not. But if you're here this morning and you're looking for love, you've come to the right place. I can guarantee you that, okay? Because yes, love at times can feel so fleeting, so uncertain, but what if... What if love doesn't have to be a guessing game? What if love really can be unconditional, dependable, available, known, experienced by you, by me? What if we really can experience and know a love that is truly unconditional? What if that kind of love is even possible? Well, the Bible says that it is. So let's turn to the Bible. We're going to be looking at a passage of Scripture this morning from the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, and we'll be looking at the first 10 verses. So the book of Ephesians is written to a group of believers in a city called Ephesus. It still exists today um, in modern-day Turkey. And uh, in the first century, this city was a booming commercial metropolis full of wealth, opportunity. There's lots going on. And the gospel message of Jesus Christ has arrived in Ephesus. And some people have embraced the love of God through Jesus Christ. And the Apostle Paul is writing to the Ephesians. And he's explaining to them and encouraging them to understand the love of God. Um, So let's start reading. I'm going to be reading from the message this morning. Now, it's a paraphrased version of the Bible, so it definitely takes some literary um, leisure to it, but the message is the same, okay? It helps us understand God's immeasurable love for us. So let's start chapter 2 of Ephesians, starting at verse 1. It wasn't so long ago that you were mired in that old stagnant life of sin, You let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. You filled your lungs with polluted unbelief and then exhaled disobedience. We all did it. All of us doing what we felt like doing when we felt like doing it. All of us in the same boat. Now, I'm going to pause here because if you're anything like me, when you start reading this passage, you're saying, okay, um, You filled your lungs with polluted unbelief and then exhaled disobedience. It's beautifully written, but ouch. We're talking about love here? Wait a minute, Paul, okay? But here's the point that Paul is saying, and I believe making. He says, you cannot, you will not understand God's love until you understand sin. Biblically, theologically, this is where you need to start 
if you're looking to understand God's love for you. Because you will never understand God's love until you understand sin. Have I ever told you guys the story of my most memorable ever Christmas present? It was a red, delicious apple. Yeah, yeah, you think I'm crazy, but it's true. Um, I grew up overseas. My parents worked at a mission school in Kenya, East Africa. And while we were there, we were spoiled with great tropical fruit. I mean, mangoes, pineapples, papayas, nothing like, you know, sorry, no frills, loblaws, super king, wherever you shop, right? But nothing touches it here, okay? We were spoiled with those things, but we also missed out on the things that we could get back home. And one Christmas season, my dad had to return home to North America for a missions conference. And when he came back around Christmas time, he brought us gifts. And one of those gifts he brought was a red, delicious apple, okay? And it sounds kind of crazy that an 11-year-old kid would remember getting an apple for Christmas as a highlight. And you know, hey, I'll be honest with you, over the 39 Christmases that I have uh, experienced, um, I've got a lot better gifts than an apple, more expensive gifts than an apple, but I will never forget the Christmas I got this red, delicious apple. Well, what's the connection here? Well, the truth is, is that you can't really know something until you appreciate it or you know what life is like without it, right? Here's a couple of sayings you've probably heard of. You can probably fill in the blanks, okay, about love. You never know how much you love something until it's gone, right? Or what about this one? Absence makes the heart grow fonder, okay? Paul's taking the same kind of approach, right, to teaching us about God's love. He says, if you want to understand God's love, you have to understand sin first. Here's a better example. Jesus told the story about two guys, a Pharisee and a tax collector. Pharisee, really religious person, individual. Tax collector, eh, kind of a scoundrel for the most part, okay? Both of them, Jesus says, walk into the temple to pray. The Pharisee stands up and prays out loud, oh, Lord God, thank you so much that I live such a holy life, that you've given me so much and that I'm really so incredible, and, and mostly thank you that my life isn't like this tax collector over here. So thank you, God, for me, right? Then the tax collector, Jesus describes, saying, he comes into the temple, head down, I'm sure, through sobs, just prays, God, forgive me. I know who I am, and I'm a sinner, but I need your forgiveness, and I need your love. Jesus says, which of these two individuals do you think would be justified, or which one do you think would really truly receive the forgiveness and the love of God? And it's pretty obvious, right? It's the tax collector. Why? Because the tax collector recognized his need. He recognized his sin and he recognized his need. And his life at that point was open to receive the love of God. Whereas the Pharisee, the Pharisee came in full of himself. He had a good life, sure he did, but he was so full of himself and his own self-sufficiency and how good he was, he had no need of God or his love. He was sufficient. Paul says we will never understand God's love until we understand sin. And then in this passage, he gives us two quick quick glimpses into what a life of sin looks like. I love this. Look at this, okay? Um, First, you let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live, okay? We fall into a life of sin when we let the world tell us how to live. You know, John's been talking a lot over this series about the HSP principle, right? How everybody is searching for happiness, significance, and purpose. 
Paul is saying, if you let the world tell you how to be happy, if you let the world tell you what will make you significant, if you let the world define your sense of purpose, then you are living a life that God did not design for you to live. You are living in sin. It can be easy to fall into, right? It's not just breaking commandments. Anytime we let the world tell us how to live and we shut out God and don't follow how he tells us to live, we're falling into a life of sin. I love it, okay? Second point that Paul says is, you filled your lungs with polluted unbelief and then exhaled disobedience. He says, we all did it. All of us doing what we felt like doing when we felt like doing it. All of us are in the same boat. Paul says, we fall into sin when we believe in our own innocence, right? Paul knew sin. If you know his story in the Bible, he used to be Saul. Saul knew he was a sinner, okay? He says, all of us, all of us have lived like this. All of us have sinned. And until you recognize that, you're going to struggle with understanding God's love. You are not immune from sin. You are not innocent. And the moment you see yourself as innocent is the moment you are living in sin and apart from God, right? Again, we do this so easily. How many times um, do we refuse to take the blame on something? How often do we reason our way into sin or out of sin? How many times do we defend our position because it's righteous? can still be wrong, right? Our position, um, we rely too much on ourselves and not on God, okay? Without acknowledging our sin, we cannot understand the love of God. Let's continue reading Ephesians, okay? Um, Says, Paul goes on to say, but it's a wonder God didn't lose his temper and do away with the whole lot of us, but instead, immense in mercy and with incredible love, he embraced us. He took our sin-dead selves and made us alive in Christ. He did all this on his own with no help from us. Then he picked us up and set us down in the highest heaven in company with Jesus, our Messiah. He took our sin-dead lives and made us alive in Christ. Paul says, it's a wonder God didn't do something else. It's a wonder to us as human beings. But you see, God, by his very nature, is love. Immense in mercy and incredible love, he embraced us. Paul's second point is you cannot understand God's love until you understand God's nature. Immense in mercy and with incredible love. You see, God is not like us. Let me say that again. God is not like us. Where we suffer the effects of sin, God remains untouched by the influence of sin. Where we falter, God is faithful. Where we struggle, God is stable. God is not like us. And you know, we as human beings have this uncanny ability to somehow think that everything should be compared to us. That we, or more often others, are a standard that we should live up to. Maybe it's some Darwinian ideology, right? That we as human beings, top of the food chain, survival of the fittest, right? That we, even in humanity, have this hierarchy, and so we should keep humanity as our standard. This is especially evident in um, our celebration of celebrity in our culture and society, right? 
where we so often measure ourselves against others. And it's silly, really, right, that another human being would set the standard that we should live by, like they are somehow more human than us. We elevate them, right? And I think this is why people love the tabloids and those gossip uh, shows so much, right? Because finding out that a supermodel, supermodel struggles with cellulite somehow makes them more human, just like us, okay? Unfortunately, we do the exact same thing with God. We take God and we make him all too human, where we take our celebrities or other people in general and we elevate them to superhuman status. We take God and we lower him to human status, okay? We bring God down to the level of a superhuman, okay? But God is not superhuman. God is not just really a really, really, really good guy, okay? We're not looking to date God. We're looking to worship him, right? God is God. He is not like us. We can't bring him down and make us like him, like some really, really good guy. He is not like us, and this is important for us to remember when we understand God's love. Okay, let's go back to our diagrams real quick, right? Because remember how we express love. It's conditional. Along the bottom there, we slide along the spectrum. Sometimes we land in the sweet spot, right? Sometimes we land in the sweet spot. But the reality is, is that our love, as we express it, is unconditional. And it's somewhere along that spectrum. But our next slide that we've already talked about at communion time is the one that accurately reflects God's love, okay? Perfectly containing emotion, behavior, grace, and truth. Because here's what we often fail to understand about God's love. God's love is not based on an emotion, although God loves us with deep emotion. God's love is not based on behavior, although time and time again, God loves us in practical, behavioral, loving ways. God's love is always full of grace. It's always full of truth. It is full of these things, but it is never rooted in these things. Its source is not these things. God's love is always based first, foremost, and forever upon his nature. It's who God is. God is love. My two boys and I saw the flying Walendas this summer at the CNE. Everybody know the flying Walendas? Okay, if you don't know them, they're a family of tightrope walkers. They're really quite incredible. And as we were sitting there watching them perform on that tightrope, it's really amazing, right? Here, this is their grand finale the bicycle pyramid. I don't know what they call it, but it is amazing, okay? But as you watch them, here they are on this cable, suspended high above the crowd, moving slowly but surely from one platform to the other. It's an incredible show of balance and skill. They're so steady up there where the rest of us are feeling like I could never do that, right? Well, after the show, I'm there with my boys. We're getting autographs on their little postcards, and the person in front of us asked, has any of you ever fallen they said, nope, not one fall. Wow, impressive, ladies and gentlemen, the flying Walendas, right? But for as amazing as they are, when they go across that tightrope, you can see it's not natural for them, okay? As skilled as they are, you can see that they are taking great effort to stay upright. And you can even see, you know, the rope wobble. You do the body move, right? You see them holding their little stick there, right? That magic stick that helps them stay on there. Um, 
For as skilled as they are, it's not natural for them. And they wobble, their body shifts as they move from one side to the other. And I think for many of us, this is how we experience and know love. It's kind of like a balancing act, right? We're trying to stay on the wire. We're trying not to fall off, not too emotional, not too behavioral. We're trying to stay in that sweet spot. As good as we get at love, though, we wobble, right? We wobble. But God is love. His love is unconditional. God's love does not wobble. It does not waver. And Paul says that it's God's love that's unconditional and true that took our sin-dead selves and make us, made us alive in Christ. It's purely God's love. So, what if? What if we embraced God's love in our lives? What if we truly embraced God's unconditional love into our lives? How much would that change the way that we live? Let's finish our passage here, okay? Um, Now God has us where he wants us. I love that. God has us right where he wants us, right? With all the time in this world and the next to shower grace and kindness upon us in Christ Jesus. Sounds like a good deal for us, hey? Saving is all his idea and all his work. All we do is trust him enough to let him do it. It is God's gift from start to finish. We don't play a major role. If we did, we'd probably go around bragging that we had done the whole thing. No, we neither make nor save ourselves. God does both the making and the saving. He creates each of us by Christ Jesus to join him in the work he does, the good work he has gotten ready for us to do, work that we had better be doing. Okay? What if... What if we embraced and did not doubt God's unconditional love? How would that change the way that we live? As Christians, as those who believe and trust in Jesus Christ, those who have embraced and received the unconditional love of God, we're called to do two things, okay? One, we are called to be motivated by God's love. That's the emotional side, right? We are called to be moved at a heart level by God's love for us and for others. We are to be motivated by God's love. We are also called to model God's love to the world. That's the behavioral side, right? That's the side that we exhibit God's character and reflect God's character to the world through what we do and say and think. We are to live in God's love, and we are to love out God's love. That's what we're called to do. That's what the basis of the good work we're called to do that Paul talks about. That's how we're to do it, in love. But as we close this morning, let's just be honest with ourselves and admit that we all struggle with this. Okay? We struggle with this. We struggle with love. We wobble at best. But I just want to take a moment in closing and ask you to do something that will forever change the way that you experience love in all facets of your life, okay? And this is it. This is the one thing. If you can can do this, it will revolutionize the way that you love 
others and yourself and the world, okay? I want you to let God love you. Let God love you. Because unless you let God love you first, you will never find stability in love. So let God love you and then let God love through you. His love needs to come in before it can be let out. And you know what? When you're struggling with love, maybe you're struggling right now, you're struggling with loving yourself. You're struggling to love someone who has hurt you. You're struggling to love those people who seem to not even know you exist. You're struggling to love. Let me just finish with this encouragement or this word of advice. Don't try to just fight your way through it, okay? That will lead you into living out a behavioral side of love to the extreme. It will lead you to legalism, and it will lead you farther away from love, okay? But also, please don't just sit back and wait for the tide to turn on love. Don't just sit and wait for the I feel to come. That's waiting for that extreme emotional side of love, and that will lead you away from love. You know, the Bible says that if you struggle with love, there's one thing that you should do. You should draw near to God. Take some time. Go to God. Let him love you. So I encourage you this morning, if you're struggling to understand love in any facet, if you're struggling to understand even God's love for you, I encourage you simply with this, move closer to him because God is love. And the closer you are to him, the closer you are to love. Let's pray. God, thank you that the work is all yours. Thank you for what you have done for us in the past. Thank you for what you are doing for us in the present. And I thank you for what you will do for us in the future. And I thank you that everything that you do for us is because you love us, because that's your nature. It's because it's who you are. And we as individuals, we as a church, I pray that we would learn in small steps, in big leaps and bounds, I pray that we would begin to grasp the unconditional love that you have for us and that we would be able to live in it. Because unconditional love really does exist. And it's yours. It's you. It's who you are. So we come to you asking that we would live in your love because when we do that, our lives can be lived also in love. Thank you, God, for loving us so much that you would send your only son to die so that we could live. Amen.